Okay. Welcome, guys. This is the uh, first of this year's series in Growing Connections. Growing Connections is dedicated to helping deal with the challenges of parenting, finding solutions to the challenges of parenting. And uh, tonight specifically is for parents and teens. The title is Getting Over the Generation Gap. A parent-child relationship is timeless, so let's get over the generation gap. So, a couple of introductions. Introduction number one. The uh, challenge of the generation gap between parents and children cause a lot of anguish, a lot of pain. You're talking about the most sacred relationship there is, parent-child. And when there's a generation gap where you feel that you're not communicating, and not only you're not communicating, but you're locking horns, that causes a lot of pain. But I will say that to most parents, the pain is known. The challenge and the pain of the challenge is known. Unfortunately, I respectfully say to you teens, that a lot of times to the teens, unbeknown to them is the pain and anguish of the generation gap. And the reason I say this is because many a times I've seen teens wear the scars of a generation gap as a badge of honor in fighting for self-identity. Very often I will find teens proudly tell a very less than respectful event, conversation, disrespectful conversation they had with their parent as a badge of honor because this is the journey of becoming my own self. So many times to the teens, the pain of this challenge goes unbeknown to them or they don't allow themselves to know this pain. I can just tell you from literally hundreds of hours of counseling with teens that the detrimental damage of the scars of this generation gap of losing the sanctity of the most important relationship someone has in their life runs very, very deep. I can only wish for you teens and any teen in the world that you should at least have one true friend who when you come and maybe in a moment of insecurity try to proudly tell a story of a conversation you had with your parent where you stomped out and you were disrespectful, God forbid, you should at least have one true friend that can tell you, true enough to tell you, hey, you know, that's not cool. You really need to go back to your parent and apologize and work this out. So my first introduction is that the pain of this challenge of the generation gap is real and it's deep. Parents are very open to feeling it. And teens sometimes try to misinterpret this as a real badge of honor. And I really hope that you guys have a friend who can tell you that that's really not cool. Introduction number one. Introduction number two. This topic of generation gap, the challenge of a generation gap, actually has driven many people to seek professional help, whether it be counseling, a therapist, and truth be said, that this is the proper thing to do. When we have an issue, we turn to those who are more professional than us and find help. 
But I want to share with you that that's not what I'm going to be doing here tonight. I'm not running a group therapy on this topic. Quite the contrary. Hachayim, the Life Institute, is and always will be dedicated to the concept of divine solutions. What I'm looking here to do is bring a new paradigm, a bird's eye paradigm to the entire challenge. And I'm asking you to please understand, I don't run infomercials. Quite often when I'll do something like this, the next thing that happens afterwards is a parent will come over to me and say, you've got to meet with my child. Or you've got to meet with my spouse and my teen because they're killing each other. If you do that, <laughs> please understand that what you're actually going to be doing is misunderstanding everything we're going to talk, we're going to talk about tonight. Because what you're going to try to do is, is to schlep the bird into your paradigm and try to convince the bird that in my situation, there's no other paradigm than the worm's eye paradigm. And you've got to talk to my child. You've got to talk to me. That's not going to happen. Don't waste your time. Don't waste my time. Any time that anyone needs any professional help, there are people I know and I've dealt with that have been very successful in the work. But that's not what I want to do. I don't want to sit down and talk to you about the practicals, he said, she said, and then this happened and this was wrong and work out those details. I don't want to do that. What I want to do is use the teachings of the Torah, divine solutions. We're going to soon delve into a most famous story in the Torah of a real generation gap. I want to give you a total different view of it. Not the worm's eye view of the he said, she said, she said, he said, and he's wrong and she's wrong. There are great books out there that talk about that. I want to just rise up. I want to go into a total different paradigm, a bird's eye view of the generational gap. Okay? Last but not least as an introduction is that the generation gap may seem to be a problem. What I'd like to present to you tonight uh, is actually that it is an amazing predestined gift of the divine will. So let's go ahead and look at one of the most famous stories of a generation gap. If I told you that in Genesis there's a story of a generation gap between a parent and a child, go ahead, teens, which one would you pick? Give me between a parent and a child in the book of Genesis the strongest generation gap that there exists. Avraham and Yitzchak. Avraham and Yaakov is grandfather, grandchild. I'm looking specifically for parent-child. Avraham and Yitzchak were two very different people, but not a generation gap. Two different views of how to approach other people. More tough, more kind, but not a generation gap. I'm looking for a real generation gap where the parents and the child must have had real locking of horns. Yitzhak and Esau are siblings. I'll share with you what I think. I think the greatest, I'm sorry? Yaakov and Esau are siblings. Yitzhak and Esau, I'm sorry. Actually, very interesting. Yitzhak and Esau wasn't a generation gap. He actually favored him. Rivka and Esau, interesting choice. 
I'll tell you who I chose. I think the greatest challenge of a generation gap in the book of Genesis, Bereshis, is actually Yaakov and Yosef. I want to share with you why. Let's talk about the story that's happening here, okay? Yaakov was the third shepherd in lineage, right? Abram was a shepherd, Yitzhak was a shepherd, and, Yo and Yaakov was a shepherd. Yaakov successfully, successfully brought up 11 shepherds. This wasn't by default. There's a reason why they did this. Why did they do this? The reason why they did it was because they felt that their ideals, their morals, their beliefs, their behavioral patterns were very different than the modern ideals of their society, of their environment. They purposely trained themselves and their children to be shepherds. Because in being a shepherd, what they allowed for was a protected environment. Shepherds do not have much dealings with their environment. It's very simple. We wake up in the morning. We find a place where there's pasture. We build fences. We bring the shepsalach, the sheep, the livestock, into that fenced-off area. They sit down, and what do they do? They make sure that everything's protected, and pretty much they're now free for the rest of the day to sit, learn, daven, meditate, be in a realization of God. So Abraham specifically chose what he wanted to do. Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob successfully teaches 11 of 12 boys that that's the way to go. Now let me introduce you to Yosef. Yosef's got different dreams. He placed his eyes on the city, the big city. Yosef is thinking that I don't want this life. Yosef views himself becoming a leader. So let's play out the scene. We all know the scene, right? So let's play out the scene. Imagine what happens dinner time after dinner time. Imagine the fighting that's going on there. No, I want to go out into the big world. You don't belong in the big world. It's a Goyesha world. Don't go there. You need to stay here. What are you doing? Imagine what's going on between the two. Imagine what's going on at a Shabbos table. The fighting that's going on there. Imagine the siblings getting so upset at Joseph. Stop it. You're hurting dad. Leave him alone. You're a rebel. Imagine how Joseph feels. Imagine Joseph sitting there saying, Hey, Dad, that works for you. It just doesn't work for me. I don't want to be a shepherd. I don't want to go out. I want to go be big. I want to meet the world. So we're dealing here with a very real, a very real generation gap. We're dealing with one paradigm to a total different paradigm. You would imagine that Joseph is respectfully telling his dad, Dad, it works for you. I'm happy for you. But it just isn't me. You can't make me do this. I don't want to be a shepherd. I don't want to sit with a flute and meditate. There are places to go, people to see, things to do. It's a world out there. God created the world. I wouldn't be surprised 
it from time to time by a real heated Shabbos table. Joseph threw at his dad more than once. And what happened with you and Esau? Remember when you tricked your father because you had to get the blessings? I'm assuming that it was rough there. I'm assuming that there was a frustrated dad and a frustrated son. I'm assuming that there's a son that felt very lonely, misunderstood. I'm sure that you teens can understand what Joseph was feeling. Squashed, told that his talents isn't for a Yiddish boy. Just give up on those thoughts. Go back to your learning. Go back to davening. Go back to your meditating. Stop because you're reading those papers and watching this and on Facebook and on YouTube. Just stop it. Go back, go back. Just. And on the same token, I will tell you, kids, that if you envision what I'm envisioning, what happens with Yosef, I can feel Yosef's pain. I'm a parent today, but a huge part of me still feels Yosef's pain. But as a parent, I will tell you kids that I also, kids, I don't mean that in a bad way, I will tell you teens that I also feel the betrayal that Jacob must have felt. You teens are probably not yet in the stage of understanding when this conflict happens, when your parents feel the betrayal. What haven't I done for my child? I'm trying to give my child everything that was given to me. This is from generation to generation. We've been around the block over and over again. We mixed and mingled in Babylon. We mixed and mingled in all over. And we held on. What doesn't my kid get? What doesn't my kid understand? That this is a story that goes on and on and on. It didn't start with 2010, the new tube of social media. This goes back. I'm not telling you new things. How can you turn your back on me, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, everything? So I would suggest to you that if you're looking for a generation gap in the Torah, a beautiful one is the generation gap between Jacob and Joseph. You see, mentioned before, Isaac and Esau. You see, Esau knew that what he was doing was wrong. He knew that killing was wrong. He knew that stealing was wrong. Joseph, on a certain level, wasn't feeling that I'm a rebel. Joseph wasn't looking to hang out in the bad neighborhoods. He was just looking to be different than his parents. He was looking to express his Judaism in a different way. And thus the locking of the horns between the old school and the new school, that generation and this generation. You can't do that no more to me, mom and dad. What are you expecting, to just put me in a closet? There's a big world out there. That generation gap wasn't a fight between bad and good, which we're going to talk about in a moment. We're going to talk about parents starting to revisit and teens starting to revisit this generation gap. 
When a child brings a new thought to the table, we don't need to immediately think that the child's going on a rebellion, the child's going to go ahead and end up leaving Judaism, God forbid, and who knows what. So I'm going to suggest to you that throughout the Torah, I think the most dominant, true story for what we're looking for today in a generation gap is Jacob and Joseph. And very interesting that while you would expect Jacob to start having chest pains and Joseph to get more and more frustrated, while you would expect the gap between the two generations to just keep on building, losing any form of communication, where you can't even discuss anything without the generation gap coming up in your face, here's a very, very interesting surprise. Not only did Jacob and Joseph not have a generation gap, Joseph, as you all know, was Jacob's favorite son. Not only was he his favorite son, but we're actually taught that the one child that Jacob gave everything he received from Abraham, Isaac, from his yeshiva, Shem, and Aver, the one the one son of all sons that he put in ten and a half instead of ten was Joseph. He loved Joseph. He actually didn't try to squash Joseph. He actually never argued with Joseph. Not so Joseph's siblings. God willing, coming up soon is another lecture on sibling rivalry. The brothers didn't do what Jacob did. Guys, you remember what happened when Joseph has his dream? That he's going to be king and even his parents and his siblings are going to bow to him. Remember that? What happens over there? What happens over there is that Jacob rebukes him publicly, right? What kind of dreams are you having? You remember the last words in the verse? Three words that go very unnoticed by many. The Oviv Shomar Esadova. Jacob didn't really rebuke him. Rashi clearly tells us from those words, he rebuked him publicly. But he did not, in his heart, rebuke him. He actually, it says, waited with anticipation for when will this dream become true. So we're talking here about a very interesting generation gap which I think would be the ideal dream, especially for you teens, and probably for your parents too. Here's a kid who seems to be stepping away from everything that's been going on for three generations, from the birth of a nation. And not only aren't the parents locking horns, one seems to be encouraging the other. And not encouraging the other as desperation. You know, when the European jury came to the shores of America, many of them also encouraged, but at a price, at a very difficult price. And they didn't feel great about it. Yeah, every Jewish parent was waiting for the child to become a doctor, but they wished that this doctor would have a yarmulke on and would keep Shabbat. That's not what happened between Jacob and Joseph. Jacob had real naches from Joseph. 
Why? Question, why? And the reason is because we're going to get a little bit supernal here. I want to talk to you about this generation gap. I want to tell you who Jacob was, and I want to tell you who Joseph was. According to the teachings, Jacob, Jacob was living in the paradigm and consciousness of a spiritual world called Atzilut. Now, I'm not going to teach you Hotanya or Kabbalah on one foot, but I'd like to share with you in very simple one sentence what Atzilut means. Atzilut is where the consciousness of the reality of God is tangible, practical, and simple. The paradigm of the egocentric creation is abstract and a novelty. In Jacob's life, he just didn't understand how anyone can think that God is abstract, religion is abstract, and Wall Street is practical. The way Jacob lived his life, God, Torah and mitzvahs, code of Jewish law, was tangible and practical. Everything else was abstract. Who was Joseph? Joseph, we're taught, is what we call in the world of Hasidus and Kabbalah, Bia, which is an acronym for the lower three worlds. Bria, Yitzira, Asiya. Creation, formation, and action. Doing. What is the paradigm there? The paradigm is in Bria, Yitzira, Asiya that what I see, what I feel, what I touch, the I is tangible and practical. The understanding in these worlds are, God, thank you for creating me, but now that you have created me, I, capital, I exist. So understand here that there was a huge generation gap between the environment of Jacob and the environment of Joseph. But now let's understand one of the key things that's happening here. One of the key things that's happening here is that Jacob realizes that if I try to squash Joseph, then I am not just waging a war against what I would call secularisms of the new generation, but actually his true thought was that if I try to squash Joseph, I am destroying the carrier of the baton, the next carrier of the baton in the relay race from Adam to Mashiach. I want to say that again. I want the parents to really hear this. Jacob said to himself, if it's about God and God's will, that my trying to squash Joseph's dreams is actually me getting in the way of the next carrier of the baton in the relay race between Adam and Mashiach. Because while I really want to see all my children in the protected environment of being a shepherd, of Atzilut, of this amazing, amazing spiritual paradigm of purity, tzniyos, and everything. But I need to understand that God's divine will is that generation A hands over to generation B 
the baton and they need to carry on Yiddishkeit to the next level of the relay race between the spiritual Adam in the Garden of Eden and the very physical Mashiach in the streets of North Miami. So now Jacob realizes that my knee-jerk reaction is to throw a fit. What do you mean you want to go to college? What do you mean you want to go to Egypt? Well, what's gotten into you, son? Don't worry. I'm sure. Sleep on it. It must have been something you ate. But no. Joseph has a paradigm. And Jacob realizes if I try to squash this paradigm, it isn't me waging war in the name of tradition. It's actually me interfering with the next carrier of the baton in this relay, ra relay race. So what we're understanding over here is that a generation gap, and we're going to revisit this tonight a couple of times, a generation gap isn't just what you and I would call, in the words of yeshiva language, yiridat hadorot, a descent in generations. That's where we all get nostalgic. Oh, Rosh Hashanah isn't the way it used to be. Kids aren't the way it used to be. Schools aren't the way it used to be. Ever heard that joke, Talia? Nostalgia isn't the way it used to be. That's one paradigm of it all. That would be the normal trying to hold on and protect. A generation gap is trafe. A generation gap needs to be wiped out. We need to squash away those foolish thoughts. Forget the modernization. Hold on. Hold on to Yiddishkeit. And yet what I'm presenting to you tonight is a very interesting bird's eye view of what a generational gap is. A generational gap, we will now see, is actually the blessing of getting closer to fulfilling the original dream and purpose of creation. I do not believe that we should be fighting the generational gap. But the question is, how does the older generation that comes from the paradigm of their how are they supposed to educate and empower the new generation that comes with the paradigm of here? Different world. Mind you, parenthetically speaking. You know, my grandfather, blessed memory, and I'll mention it, I'll quote him soon here, but my grandfather, blessed memory, to me, he was the gift of understanding that remembering the Holocaust is not just remembering what the Nazis Yimach Shemam did, but it's remembering who my grandfather's generation was before that happened. If you want to talk about a generational gap, I never really appreciated. We all have respect for the survivors. Not many of us realize what kind of respect survivors' children need. Because they went through the ultimate zets of a generation gap. 
I'm going to mention to you over here. Let me mention it right now. I will never forget my grandfather and I were the ones that had a very great relationship. My grandfather would talk his heart out to me very often when he felt that no one else was listening. <laughs> I'll never forget my grandfather's reaction when this Gerach just heard that his granddaughter is going from Borough Park to Melbourne, Australia for seminar. All he kept on telling me is, Avrumi, I'll tell you in English, that is a Yiddish phrase, Avrumi, a Yiddish girl goes from her father's home to her husband's home. Was father Australia. He was like, he just couldn't. And then already he let it all out. And I see your sister doing exercise. Since when do girls do exercise? Don't they know how to take care of themselves? And he let it all out. Whole Europe just came landing on me in one shot. I adored it. I loved it. But I realized that there's a generation gap. So we have really, really an interesting exploration to do tonight. Because I'm trying to suggest to you again and again, do not run away from the generation gap. Because you're getting in the way of Hashem's divine plan of evolution. There's a reason why Hashem brought us to America. There's a reason why today we're not being challenged with pogroms. We're being challenged with two-car garage and three-car garages and ocean view apartments and all that. It's all part of the relay race. Previous Rebbe said over and over again, don't spill blood for what your parents spilled blood. They already spilled blood for that. They conquered that. Move on. In football, you don't go back to the first yard. You take over next. Carry on the ball. So that's what the generation gap really is. It's being able to say that we, our generation, we did what we had to do with our generation's challenges. And now we're going to watch our children do what they have to do with their generation's challenges. Don't try to bring them back to your challenges. That was done. That piece of the masterpiece painting was done. Let them now deal with the next step. Don't give them the baton and, the baton and tell them to run back from where you started. You give them the baton and you empower them to run on to unprecedented places because that's why they're the next generation. So what we're really dealing with over here is to understand that there is a generation gap. But the challenge that we're really going to have to right now discuss is that if there is a real generation gap, what could Yaakov the shepherd teach Yosef the viceroy of Egypt about being a Jew? Jacob had no idea of what it would be to be a Jew, a religious Jew, in the palace of Egypt. So if you want to talk about the real generation gap, it's not about trying to stop your children. It's about really sitting down, scratching your head, and asking yourself, what can I teach my children about being Jewish in the generation of Facebook, Internet, and all the Chazerai? What can I teach my children about the values of human Yiddish communication when everything is a text to a text? This is a huge question. 
What can I teach my children about the sanctity of a Jewish home when their challenges are so different than our challenges? Their understanding of a relationship is so different. Your daughter's marriage will be very different than your marriage. Let's stop for a second. Let's go back two generations. Sherry, what would your great-grandmother say about your family having a two-set two income where the wife is out in the street working? It wasn't in their paradigm. What are you doing to my granddaughter? You're making her work? You bum, go get a job. She belongs at home. What would your great-grandmother today sit down with you and tell you, Sherry, I want to talk to you about the challenges of being a Yiddish lawyer, going out there with, with a three-day lineup of two-day Rosh Hashanah and going into Shabbos. What is your great-grandmother going to tell you about that? There's nothing she can tell you about that. She doesn't begin to understand what that would even feel like. She can talk to you about a different set of challenges, about the Yiddish mama and the house with the kids and the this and the that. I was sitting at a Seven Habits three-day seminary, and uh, the moderator over there spoke up about, he was, for, I don't know how he got to this, but he was beating up on the generation of the children, the college students today. They don't talk to each other, they text to each other. And what happened at that moment was an amazing, an amazing conversation. Because to that guy's misfortune, there was a college student there, one of the Papir family, that stood up and told this moderator, actually, in our generation, texting carries all the intimacy, love, and respect, and communication that your generation had in phone calls. And in that moment, in my own mind, I just left and just went through an interesting journey. I could imagine my great-grandmother telling my mother, what are you going to call? Either walk over and have a cup of tea with her, or don't bother her. You could pick up a phone and talk. That's also called human connections. It's funny, none of us think like that. We can have a great hour and a half phone conversation with a parent or a sibling, and it was wow. But when we see our kids sending a text to a sibling, we go nuts. You kids, you don't know what it means to communicate. Well, guess what? Your grandmother didn't think you knew what it meant to communicate. Because when she wanted to have a conversation, she walked over, they put on the chinik, they sat down with nice two tea glasses, and they talked. Talking to a machine. You pick up a phone. And we got good at it, right? Because we even use our hands while we're talking on the phone. <laughs> because we communicate. And the guy on the other side of the line actually learns to picture you and hear and see your hand moving around while you're talking on the phone. So what's really actually happening is that the generation gap it's very interesting. We look at our children and wonder, but then we say our grandparents did the same thing. And when I listened to my grandfather rant about his granddaughter getting on a plane and going to Australia, thinking that that's it. She's changing her name to some secular name. <laughs> she lost it. She's going to find some boy without a shidduch. Don't ask what my grandfather was worried about. It's very interesting. Because I think what really was bugging my grandfather wasn't the thought that this could be okay. It was actually, what can I tell this girl? What do you tell 
a Yiddish girl that's leaving her house, traveling so far that if she goes any further, she's getting closer. He didn't know what to do with that. How is he going to teach her? How is he as a grandfather going to be able to plant within her the amazing feminine mystique of a Yiddish mama and the whole nine yards? She's leaving home. I think that's a huge conversation we have to have here. The huge conversation is how? How do we as parents teach our children to stand up to challenges that our generation didn't have and their generation will have? So what do we do as good Yiddish mamas and good Yiddish tatis? What do we do? We pull them away from there. Not happening. God has a divine plan of evolution. Parents, hear me, please. Your children are not here to relive your lives. Just like you didn't relive your parents' lives. So stop fighting the generation gap as if that is the Satan itself. It's not. What we do need to know is how to be able to transmit to this new generation with unprecedented challenges of being real Yiddish mamas and fathers. How do we train them? So, let's go to the next step here. I want to talk to you about, I mentioned to you before, the seven habits of highly effective people. Stephen Covey there actually discusses an amazing concept. It's called universal principles. They're timeless. There are certain things that are timeless. We cannot change them. We cannot take upon ourselves that we will not sleep for eight days. It is a universal principle, a timeless universal principle, that your body needs to have rest. A physical universal principle I just gave you. There's a spiritual universal principle. Before we even get to Yiddishkeit, you know what that is? Girls, give me a spiritual universal principle that's not Yiddishkeit. There's a rhetorical question. Let me answer you. Your soul needs self-respect. Now here's a very interesting rule. You cannot, are you listening? You cannot betray a universal principle for too long without paying the consequences. Did you understand me? Seriously. Did you understand what I just said? You cannot betray a universal principle for too long without paying the consequences. Okay, let's talk about this. What's your first name? Ital? Ital. You don't go to sleep one day. You're tired, but you look pretty healthy. You probably can go to school the next day and still pull through. Then you don't go to sleep on like a mensch for two days. Time to doze off. You don't go to sleep for three days. You're going to fall apart. You, you just can't. But you took upon yourself that you're going to really, I'm not sleeping no more. Not that's universal principle. There's nothing you can do to change that. That rules us. Let me tell you a universal principle of self-respect. If you do not have self-respect, you will not be successful. It's just that simple. If you disrespect yourself once, you disrespect yourself twice, you disrespect yourself three times, you've lost the power of being successful. So when we talk about universal principles, they're timeless. They transcend 
generation gaps. There are Jewish universal principles. There is a Jewish universal principle. And I'm going to put this out there. It's a rough one. But there is a Jewish universal principle. A Jew needs to have Jewish education. No matter where you get it from. Sunday school, shul, Jewish school, Hebrew school, whatever you want. There is a universal principle. Jews need Jewish education. You cannot betray that universal, Jewish universal principle for too long without paying the consequences. I'm going to go tell you what that means. You cannot go on for many generations without Jewish education and not face the consequences of intermarriage. It's that real. There are universal principles that cannot be played with. There are Jewish universal principles that cannot be played with. The job of a parent, the job of a Jewish parent, the job of a Jewish individual, as a parent we need to transmit these Jewish universal principles. As a Jew, an individual Jew, we must know, feel, live timeless Jewish universal principles. When I talk to you about how can I educate my children to face the challenges that I cannot understand due to our generational gap, the answer is timeless Jewish universal principles. Now, there is a new language out here in the street. Back in Borough Park, we didn't have this language. Back in Borough Park, we spoke about teaching Torah. Here, I find very often parents say, nah, all I need is my kid to have a Jewish identity. What is exactly a Jewish identity? What exactly is a Jewish identity? So let me tell you what a Jewish identity is. That your child knows, feels, lives with timeless Jewish universal principles. There is no other definition of Jewish identity. Sundays, bagels, and locks is not Jewish identity. It just won't do it. So what we're really talking about here is understanding what is the parent's job. The parent's job is to transmit these timeless Jewish universal principles. I want to introduce one more point, and then we're going to get to the challenges and the solution of the generation gap. One more thing to know is something called halakha. Halakha does not change. Halakha for Jews is a timeless universal principle. The prohibitions and the obligations in the time of Abraham, Moses, King David, Maimonides, the Baal Shem Tov, you and I, 
don't change. So we have very, very interesting teachings that Joseph in Egypt kept halakha. And that is why Jacob not only didn't argue, didn't squash, he actually encouraged and empowered Joseph because that's your job. I did my job. I lived in Atzilut. I lived as a shepherd. I brought up a whole family of a nice Yiddish mishpucha. Your job is go to Egypt, become a king. And all I can do as a father to ensure that you will be okay is to transmit to you the timeless Jewish universal principles. Halacha. Let me teach you how to behave as a Jew. Let me teach you the Jewish paradigm of life. So now I'm going to give you a silly, purposely silly scenario. Mothers and daughters, you're arguing. The mother and the daughter is arguing about how to make tzimis for Pesach. You know what tzimis is? How to make tzimis. You know what tzimis is? Tzimis, okay, I'm sorry. It's an Ashkenazi food, actually. It's uh, carrots and prunes. It's a very sweet. It's very traditional. They're arguing over the recipe of tzimis. Okay? Guys, I'm going to tell you that at this point, don't sit back, girls. I need you to move forward on the edge of your seat. I need you to really engage now because this is where it all built to. Okay? Wake up. What I'm sharing with you is as follows. There's an argument. The mother tells the daughter, what kind of raisins and tzimis? Where, where did you get this from? Tzimis has prunes, not raisins. There's a huge fight here. A world fight. A generation gap. She went into Costco's, bought pre-cut carrots, and they didn't have prunes, so she bought raisins, and then she's using Splenda instead of sugar and honey. Un unthinkable. You understand why I'm picking such a silly thing? Because parents and teenagers, I need you to understand what you're arguing about. I need you to put down on the table clearly what are we arguing about. Is this a halachic argument? Are you beside yourself because your daughters broke away from your tradition and they're using raisins instead of prunes? Then there's another whole machloikis. Here's a different machloikis. Here the daughter agrees with the mother that we have to use prunes. But there's no way that I'm using that brand of prunes. I need to use this brand of prunes. Now we have a little problem. Because this brand doesn't have the OU kosher for Passover certificate and the other one does. A different argument. Now let me clearly share with you that as good Jews, in a heartbeat, we're going to turn this fight into a Jewish fight. Because the parent is going to explain the child how important it is in the tradition and laws of Passover that you do tzimis exactly the way I did it and the way my grandmother did it and my, my great-grandmother did it. This is no more a plain argument. This is a Jewish universal principle argument. 
Let me share with you teenagers. It would be very easy for you teenagers to go ballistic on me and say, what? I would never use those prunes. The kosher prunes, they're a, they're a life hazard. I can't use those prunes. I need to use these prunes. I walk and be with prunes already, so it's pitted with the machines and Pesach. Leave me alone. But what's really happening here is that the argument is not a generational gap argument. It's not an argument of universal principles. So what I really need for me and my child to do, for you and your child to do is to sit down and stop for a moment and ask yourself, is this a generational gap argument? Is this an argument over my child's rebelling to the holiness of my tradition, the laws of modesty? Is this the issue on the table? Did I catch her texting a boy? Or is this not that type of issue? This is really my own Mishigas issue. I need to understand whether my teenager realizes what is he arguing with me about. We need to clearly stop for a second and ask ourselves, is this a fight about squashing the next generation's peace of the race? Is it about me not willing to embrace that God has a plan of evolution and I didn't live in the environment of my grandparents and my grandchildren will not live in the environment of me? Because if that's what I'm trying to fight, Parents, please hear me. You're not fighting with your kids. You're fighting with God. There's nothing holy about that fight. But if this is a universal, a Jewish, timeless, universal, principle fight, that's a holy argument. The same goes to you teenagers. Think for a second, what is this argument about? Is this argument about me, the hip, having to put up with my mother, the outdated, old-fashioned, irrelevant one? Or is this about me telling my parents, this is my destiny. Let me do what I need to do. Teach me how to do it like a Jew. I'm not rebelling against Torah. I'm not rebelling against the golden chain. I'm not rebelling against everything that's precious and dear to you. But that isn't what this fight is about. This argument happens not to be a Jewish argument. And I know that we love, we love turning everything into Jewish arguments. But this isn't a Jewish argument. This isn't a Shanda factor. You guys know what Shanda means? Shanda, in the world where I came from, was something that your grandfather used against you. That's what you're going to do. You're going to embarrass the whole family. You're going to embarrass me. You're going to embarrass everyone. And that word in Yiddish is se'ashanda. Ashanda. That's kind of what my grandfather must have felt when he found out that his daughter, granddaughter, is not going from her father's house to her husband's house. She's making a pit stop in an amazing Hasidic seminary in Australia. Ashanda. Do you know that the Rebbe had a conversation in the beginning of the 80s with another, another leader of a Jewish uh, community in Israel? 
and the Rebbe was talking to them, or to him specifically, about trying to teach girls Talmud. The Rebbe wanted girls to learn Talmud. And he said, Talmud, teaching girls Talmud. And the Rebbe went on to explain why it's fundamentally and halakhically necessary to teach girls Talmud. No connection. That other rabbi was stuck in a paradigm that girls don't learn Talmud. I, girls in Europe, didn't do A, B, and C. And in your community in Israel, they have to do A, B, and C. So what I'm presenting to you today is to please separate the two. There is a halachic, timeless, Jewish, universal principle issue. Don't back down on those. Do not back down on those because your kids don't belong to you. They were given to you as guardians because they're God's children. Do not back down on halachic or timeless Jewish universal principles. But on the same note where I just told you do not back down, I'm going to tell you to embrace what Jacob embraced. Because there is nothing that your kid is going to bring home to you in the modernization of the new generation's challenge that comes close to what Joseph brought home to Jacob. I want to share with you a story. I heard this from the rabbi that it happened with. Couple in California, husband became a Baal Teshuva. Wife wasn't with the program at his speed and he would drive her nuts. No, no, no. When are you going to put on a shaito? When are you going to become kosher? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? When are you going to do Shabbos? How can you do this on Shabbos? Stop turning on the television on Shabbos. He wouldn't leave her alone. And you can imagine what happened to that marriage. At one point, they came to a, an agreement. She told her husband that I'm willing to go with you to New York to the Lubavitch Rebbe, and if he agrees with you, I'll do it. But if he agrees with me, back off. Well, the husband thinks that this is a slam dunk. You're going to Lubavitch Rebbe to ask him if you should become from? Oh yeah, no problem. Let's do that. They get onto a plane with the shliach. They come to Kron Heights. He has his private audience with the Rebbe called Yechidot. Him, his wife, and the Rebbe are sitting alone in the office. The Rebbe listens to both sides before the Rebbe gives his opinion. And then the Rebbe speaks. What the Rebbe told his husband and wife was that very often... I find that one person uses the Torah as an abusive weapon against the other person. The conversation was over. What the Rebbe said was very clear. Husband made a deal, and now he's got to keep his part of the deal. Back off the wife. They left. They went back to Manhattan to their hotel, and all of a sudden, the Chabad Shliach, who came with them, gets a phone call from the Rebbe's secretary. Rabbi Chadikov tells this person that, like this, this is the person I heard it from, when I told him that this is what happened by the Rebbe in Yechidus tonight. This is what they asked, and this is what the Rebbe answered. The Rebbe wants you to go to Manhattan and meet with them, and the Rebbe wants you not to let them know that it's the Rebbe sending you, but the Rebbe wants to know how the husband took what just happened. went to 
the Manhattan. Of course, he didn't let them know that he already knew what happened. And he asked them, wow, so how is Yechidus? What happened? What you say? What you say? What the Rebbe said? And finally, the husband said, yeah, the Rebbe said that sometimes we use uh, religion as a bat. And he looks and says, mm, how do you feel about that? The guy told me that, the rabbi told me, that the guy smiled and said, the Rebbe knows his customers. Conversation was over. Parents, children, Judaism isn't a weapon. Religion isn't a weapon. Tznius isn't a weapon. Shabbos isn't a weapon. Chol Yisrael isn't a weapon. So what we need to do is, we need to separate what exactly is causing the constant arguing between me and my child, me and my parent. What is it? Is it the generation gap? Is it that you are not open to the evolution that the divine will has willed from Adam to Mashiach? Is it that I just cannot open up my mind to see that my daughters are going to do things that my sister didn't do within the realm of halacha? That's the question on the table. What am I arguing with my child about? Am I arguing with my child because my child is now playing against halacha, Jewish law? My child is playing against Jewish timeless universal principles? Is that what's going on here? Or is what's going on here is maybe I am not open to the next stage of evolution. Maybe I forgot what went on between me and my parent. Maybe I forgot what my parent was so challenged with when I took Judaism to the next level. When I took Jewish identity to the next level. Let me share with you, my grandfather was not a Chabad Chassid. My grandfather was a Gera Chassid. He begged me, day in and day out, go to Ger. His biggest nightmare, his biggest nightmare was that I would be doing what I'm doing now. Stepping out of the religious community, going into a different community, and I'm going to be speaking to people and talking to people who don't keep kosher, who don't keep Shabbos, who don't do this. He just didn't, he just didn't get that. He kept on telling me, Avumi, that's very good, that's very good. But not for you. Go, go learn. Go to Kailo. Go. That was his issue. He had no problems with it. It's a beautiful thing. But not my grandson. Please. <laughs> What was his issue? Was his issue timeless universal principles of the Jewish people? Or was his issue that he wasn't willing to embrace the next stage in evolution of the Yiddish people? And again and again and again, I will emphasize this is all within the doctrine of halacha. So I hope I was clear with what I'm trying to present here. I know that I'm talking about Yiddishkeit, because obviously that's what I'm doing. But please understand that this isn't just about what you eat and what you do in the Jewish world sense. Please understand that that's everything that goes on between you and your children. Let's talk about now, not from the halachic things of keeping kosher or not keeping kosher. Let's talk about the menschliche things. I mentioned to you before about this phone call versus a text message 
versus going over and having a cup of tea. That wasn't halacha I was talking to you about. Many issues that my grandfather had wasn't just halacha. He was rejecting an entire American paradigm of how we treat objects, people. And I'm not talking about where he was outright right, where we have no answers to anyone, to where we mistreat self-respect, respect of a napkin, respect of a cat, respect of a house, sitting with shoes on furniture. I'm not, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not going to argue with my grandfather about that. Thank God. Thank God he fought with me all day about that. But I'm talking about where it wasn't a right or wrong issue. There were things my grandfather wasn't ready to embrace because it wasn't within his paradigm of a Yiddish community. And all of a sudden, the new generation came along. The new generation, which is as dedicated and as committed and living a menschlicha life, living a self-respect right, living a life of right is right and wrong is wrong, decency is decency and non-decency is non-decency. But the challenge here is, how would my grandfather plant within me to be able to carry that torch that was his in pre-Holocaust Europe into North Miami 2010. That's the ultimate challenge here. For us to stop a second and say, what am I doing? Am I stopping the progressiveness of the next generation? Or am I fighting an atheistic rebellion? I want to share with you one more thing before I give you a practical list. I will share with you people I have yet to find where a parent and child were dealing with a holy war, and I mean a good holy war, I don't mean jihad holy wars that go on between kids and parents when the kid decides they're more religious than the parent and they have to teach the whole parent that your whole house is trafe, or when the parent tells the kid, you can never come to my house again. I'm not talking about those holy wars. I'm talking about a real holy war. I have not yet found a parent and a child that had a holy, a pure holy world that were not able to work it out. I will share with you on the same note that I'm yet to find a parent and a child in an unholy war that were able to work it out. Because once it's a holy war, pure holy war, a pure holy war where there are really concerns about the right concerns, I have not yet found where a parent and a child were not able to work it out. But when it stems from insecurities, stubbornness, childless, childfulness of either the parent or the child, let me just tell you, it's not always the child, the parent, the, the stubborn one or the, or the immature one. Many times you will have that the parent is the immature one, the stubborn one, the closed-minded one for no reason. And now they have a proof, uh, you have to prove a point. Because how would it look if the father says, I'm sorry that I was wrong? Unheard of. Against the Ten Commandments. Those never end. But the ones where the parent and the child are having a decent difference of a generation gap, usually you can sit them both down by the table and make it work. How? So now I want to go with you a little list that, I'm, that I've made just to go over to leave from here. So I've asked of you all, do not get caught up in the non-halachic dressings 
get caught up in the halachic and timeless Jewish universal principles. Leave the rest out. Don't fight over the other thing. So I want to share with you, here are some steps, okay? These are some steps to a healthy parent-child conflict. Number one, parent. Get all the facts to the conflict. Make sure that you know exactly what it is that your teenager wants or doesn't want, okay? Number two, teenager. Get all the facts to the conflict. Make sure that you know exactly what it is that your parent wants or doesn't want. So all I'm asking right now is, before you lock horns because she said and she thought, get the facts. Get the facts of exactly, you want to do what tonight? You want to go out to what time? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to go with? The child, get the facts from your parent. You want me to be home at what time? You don't like that I'm going to where? You don't want me to be without what kind of supervision? Get the facts. That's all step A and B is. Get the facts and get the facts. Step number three, for both parent and teenager. Clearly define for yourself and explain to the other what and why it is that you don't want or that you are demanding what you are demanding to be done. Clearly define for yourselves. That's what I'm asking now. Clearly define for yourselves and explain to the other what and why is it about what my teenage child just asked me that I don't want or that I am demanding that they do. The same vice versa. Teenager. Clearly define what it is about this thing that you want or don't want or that you are demanding. I know I'm using a rough word from a child to a parent. What can a child demand of a parent? But I just want to be over here practical for a moment. Define exactly what it is. Mom, I'm 18. I want the keys of your car. I want to be able to go out with my friends. And I don't want to have to be home by 1159. Why? Because I'm not a baby. I'm 18 years old. I can legally get married tomorrow, and you can't tell me a thing about it. Clearly define. What is it about your rules that are bugging me? I don't want to be home by 11.59. I'm not saying right or wrong yet. I'm just saying be specific. Don't just, she thinks I'm a baby. She doesn't trust me. Or, oh, that's it. My kid thinks that she really can come and go. You know what? You're under my roof. As long as you're under my roof, you know when the fight gets like that? That's life. So, number four. Now that you clearly know what each other wants, what each others don't want, and why you don't want it. Here goes number four. Clearly define for yourselves which are timeless Jewish universal principles that are at stake here. And then clearly define the generational gap issues that you are struggling with. You, my daughter, will not be caught dead in that outfit. Not as long as you are under my roof. Why? Why? Elbows, knees, hip, why? Define. Define what it is. I don't believe that girls at this age should be wearing red that attracts everyone's attention. I defined it. Or, I don't like wearing that. Why, daughter? 
Because, because what? Because when you were a little girl, that wasn't style. It's not mommy. Define. Let the mother tell the child. No. That just is provocative. Go back into your room and change. Or, daughter, there's nothing wrong with that dress. Are you really going to go out with that? Clearly define what it is. Is this a generational gap issue? I'm still not used to kids having rubber bands up from here to here, calling it fancy and style, silly, whatever. That's not a halachic issue. That's not a provocative issue. It's just, why would you do that? Well, the reason why I'll do that is because I live in 2010, Ty. You come from way back. Okay, cool, no problem. So we need to define for ourselves, where are we fighting for tradition, Jewish identity, a mensch? Girl, have you forgotten what your last name is? And where am I just having my own generational gap issues? And you know what, girl? You're going to have to give me time for this. I understand. This is just, I'm not used to this. Just take it slow on me, okay? You'll get there. You can do this. It's your generation. It's what your generation does. It's totally kosher. It's okay. Guys, E in my notes has caps, which is important. I'm going to put down some stuff here. And obviously, again, I'm talking about Jewish issues, but it's not just Jewish issues. So if it isn't a Jewish issue, instead of using the word rabbi, place it, replace it with the word someone that you both respect. Okay? Important. It should be clear who is the rabbi of the family when needing to confirm which is a timeless Jewish universal principle and or halachic issue and which is not. Please, pay attention, parents. Also children, but uh, sometimes I have to do the exact opposite. The kids think that they became more religious than the parents and they're starting to use it against the parents. But right here, I'm not going to talk about that. To be more religious than your rabbi or to go rabbi hopping is totally unacceptable. Fight, father, daughter, you can't do that. It's not halacha, it's not Jewish. Really, let's call the rabbi. We call the rabbi, that rabbi. You call that rabbi? That rabbi. He's very lenient. We have to call this rabbi, the one with the 13-inch beard. Or rabbi hopping. Just hop, hop, hop. That rabbi said, no, okay, I gotta find another rabbi before my father finds a rabbi. Let's go rabbi hopping. Is this okay? No? Okay, I'll speak to you later. Just don't tell my father I called you. Boom, boom, boom. They're both unacceptable. Yes, you, the parent, may decide that you are stricter than the law, but don't impose that upon your child. As a family, you may decide that you want to climb the ladder from one family rabbi to another. However, be clear before the conflict about this and not during the conflict. You can't just decide in the middle of a conflict that we now use that rabbi. If this is the rabbi who your family turns to, if we're now having an argument whether having nail polish on the second day of is permissible or not, this is the rabbi we ask. Again, I'm talking to you about rabbi because obviously in the shul I'm talking to you about Jewish issues, but it's not Jewish issues. It could be a career issue. It could be a, a, a going away in the summer vacation issue. 
It could be, should you at this age be going away with a bunch of teens to, I don't know where, for the weekend? So if it's not a rabbi issue, it becomes a mentor issue. You say this is nothing wrong. I'm just being old-fashioned. I think that this is morally wrong for the type of daughter I want to bring up. But you're right. Maybe this is just something new to me that I'm just having a hard time swallowing. Maybe this is okay. Let's turn to someone. Okay? Next. Once the timeless Jewish principles, halacha, and generational gap parameters have been clearly defined and validated, then this discussion table becomes far more productive. I want to share with you what I mean. Girls, I hope that none of you just heard me say that you only have to respect your parents' halachic wishes. But if it isn't a halachic wish, you don't have to respect your parents. If it's just a generational gap issue, then I don't have to listen to them. Wrong. It doesn't say in the Ten Commandments, you shall listen to your father and mother when they tell you to do what Jewish law tells you to do. It says you shall listen and honor them when they tell you what they tell you. So if this isn't a Jewish law issue, and this is just, you know, mom's old-fashioned, is that your mother? Live with it. But I do want to tell both parents and both teenagers that once you've sat down on the table, what is doctrine issues? I don't believe in this because I think it is wrong for you to be doing this. Why, Ma? Because I think that as a Jewish girl, you should not be doing this. Versus, listen, it's just, I, I'm not comfortable with you doing this. Why, Ma? Is there anything wrong with it according to halacha? No. Is there anything wrong according to your view of Jewish tradition? No. Then what's wrong with it? I, I don't know. I just didn't do this when I was a girl. I, I don't know. Just knowing that on the table, this is an issue my mom has because she's just not used to it. But that's what my generation is doing. Then you know how to deal with it. The mother was able to express to you, there is nothing wrong, sweetheart. There is nothing wrong with what you want to do. I just am struggling with it. Or there's a, another side of the conversation. Honey, you can't do that. Don't you get it? You can't do that. Why? Because Jewish people do not go out Friday night. You need to be by my table. That's it. End of story. Go before, go after, bring them here. Once you're able to communicate with each other, why I don't want you to do what I, you want to do. Or once the child, the teenager, is able to communicate to the parent why I want to do what I want to do. Mom, it's not just about what I want to do. There's a social factor here. I can't be always the only girl that can't go with my entire class to Aventura Mall. It's just not right. You can't do that to me. So this isn't about I want vanilla, I want chocolate. Ma, there's a bigger circle here. Yeah, I know to you I'm only your daughter, but I have a social circle. I have friends. I have dreams. I have aspirations. I'm good at this. Mom, why are you stopping me? Versus the 
other thing where the daughter tells the mom, this isn't really something, I'd like to do it, but you know, it's not the end of the world. Or I didn't know you wanted to spend time with me, you never spend time with me. Sure, no problem, I'll tell my friends that today I can't go out. Do you know what the cause of most arguments in any relationship is? Unspoken expectations. If I don't know what's in your mind and what's bothering you about this, and you don't know what's in my mind, why I so much need to do this, then you're going to lock horns. But if you can somehow ensure that your daughter is going to be the same and even better beautiful Jewish woman that you are, but they're going to live it in their generation's challenges, not in your generation's challenges, would you worry? Or teenager, if you knew that your mom is okay with what you want to do, just not specifically how you want to do it. I'm uncomfortable with how you're doing this, but I have nothing against what you're doing. I actually want to encourage this pursuit, but not in the format that you're doing it. You can compromise, you can talk, you can connect. But so many times, parents and children are fighting over the details that was never the issue to begin with. If you tell me what is so important and why it is so important to you, and I'll tell you what and why it's so important to me, do you know how much amazing amount of space we overlap each other where it doesn't cross my lines and it doesn't cross your lines? But parents and teenagers hardly ever get to even hear that. Before they got the first base, they're already not talking, they're angry at each other, they're poking each other out with their eyes and they're mumbling. When really, really, this could have been a win-win situation. If just the parent would be able to express to the child the what and the why. If just the child can express to the parent the what and the why. I'm not desecrating everything that's holy to you, mom. I don't want to do a single thing that would make me any less respectful in your eyes. But this is what I want to do. So tell me what you don't want me to do and let's work out how I could do what I want to do. If the child can just explain to the parent what's going on in their social life. Do you think your parent wants you to be the girl that everyone says, yeah, that's, yeah, her mother's never going to let her go. Don't, don't even bother. Forget it. Don't even tell her that we're going. You think that's what your parent wants for you? So if you can tell your parent what is really the issue, what is it that really bothers you? Why do you so get aggravated when she says you can't do this or you have to do it this way or you have to come home by this time? It is amazing 
how a parent and child, teenager's mind, can work together as a team and make everyone happy. Instead of walking into your house time in and time out, feeling misunderstood, feeling squashed, feeling totally disrespected, feeling betrayed. Parents and children don't need to go through that. But you need to transmit what is tradition, what are my own personal pet peeves, what is doable, what's not doable, what's negotiable, what's not negotiable. So what I'm asking for the parent and the teenager to do is to be open with each other. I'm asking the parent to really tell the teenager what and why you don't let me do what you don't let me do and why you force me to do what you force me to do. I'm asking the teenager to sit down with your old-fashioned, ancient, out-of-it mom and try to explain to her what it means to be at your age in social pressures. What it means to be the one that everyone snickers about. What is it that you must do just to survive the social circles? And believe it or not, your mom may have a cute couple of tricks up her sleeve from the days when she had to deal with what you're dealing with. She may be able to give you a different perspective. But as long as you're open, open about what and why, know clearly where in the road there's a double solid line and you can't cross, where there's broken lines you can cross both ways, where there's one side broken line and one side solid line so you can only cross one way but not the other way. That's part of a family's legacy. So you need to communicate, guys. Okay?